Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. We've all been there. We've been caught with these disturbing, dividing, sorrow thoughts to tear us up. We feel worn out with the one hands and the other hands, and we run out of hands after a while. Isaac, on the one hand, if I stay in this land, then I'm going to be persecuted by the Philistines. On the other hand, God told me to stay in this land. On the other hand, it's best if I leave this land for my family. On the other hand, God gave me the family, and he can take care of my family. Well, on the one hand, I keep losing my wells. Well, on the other hand, God keeps giving me more wells, and he's just torn with all these sorrow, these dividing, disturbing thoughts. Those are sorrows. Those are disturbing thoughts. We've all been there. We've been tormented by those, not knowing what to do. And David said that when he had those sorrows, those dividing thoughts that were tearing him up, that all of a sudden... All of a sudden, God's comforts came to him, and they caused him to look away from all the dividing, disturbing, sorrow thoughts and the comforts that he delighted his souls. That reminds me of a time, I think I've told you about this, when I had to work on Thanksgiving Day in 1972, and I had to work all day long in the research lab in the basement on the side of the hill as you come up 163 there in Mercy Hospital. And I had those dividing sorrow thoughts, feeling all alone. I wanted to celebrate Thanksgiving with my family. And I had to work all day on, on some prostate cancer experiments that had to be done in Dr. Geller's lab. And I was tormented with all the sorrow, disturbing, dividing thoughts. I mean, on the one hand, I wanted to be at the family celebrating Thanksgiving at home. On the other hand, these experiments had to be done. And I had a hymnal with me we like to use here in the Chapel of Redwood. It's still over there. And I took that into work, and all day long I sang out loud to God. And no one was there, so no one could complain like my son Joseph does when I do that. So I just sung my heart out to God. And, and that was the best Thanksgiving I ever had. I still look back on it. I think I never had a Thanksgiving so wonderful like that. What happened? Psalm ninety four nineteen happened. In the multitude of my sorrow, dividing thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. You know, since my wife died, I've seen Psalm 94 19 happen a lot. You know, I used to, I dreaded, oh, I'm going to be my birthday alone, my anniversary alone, holidays alone. Those dreads, multitude of my thoughts, the sorrows within me, dividing, disturbing thoughts. And yet those have been the best days. As I sing to God, sense his special presence, and my friend John, he calls me on those days, how are you doing? I said, oh, this has been the best birthday I've ever had, <laughs> best holiday. And he says, you know, that's just amazing to me. You keep saying that, you know. I said, Why? Psalm ninety four nineteen happens. Thy comforts delight my soul. That's why Saturdays are that like that for me. Saturdays are my worst day and my best days, all in one. <laughs> worst days in the morning. And I think, oh, well, alone, et cetera, et cetera. Start studying the scriptures. All of a sudden, I get excited about something God shows me. Psalm 94, 19 happens again. So in verse 24, when the Lord appears to Isaac, the same night he arrives in Beersheba with his sorrow, dividing, disturbing thoughts within him, that was when God comforted his soul by talking to him. And God appeared to him. And the first thing he said to Isaac was, the Lord appeared unto him the same night, and he said, first thing God says, 
I am the God of Abraham, thy father. That's the first thing that God told Isaac. I am the God of Abraham, thy father. It's interesting the way God put that. He didn't use the usual Hebrew for ani, I am. But, but God used a special form of Hebrew to say, I am the God of Abraham. He didn't say, Ani Elohe Abraham. He didn't say, I am the God of Abraham. But he used a special way when he said, Anoki Elohe Abraham. See, when God said Anoki instead of Ani, it puts a special emphasis on the words I am. By saying Anoki, God was emphasizing to Isaac the I am part, who he was. See, by emphasizing to Isaac that he was the God of Abraham, God is emphasizing to Isaac that he's consistent with the past. He hasn't changed. Just like it says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And by identifying himself as the God of Abraham, God is emphasizing to Isaac, Isaac, your faith is based on history. Your faith is based on the history of my relationship with Abraham. There's a lesson in that for us. See, our faith is based on history. You know, like the song says, it has a place in history. You know, Just like God was telling Isaac, look back to Abraham's history. Look back to my acts, the acts of God with your father. See, just like he told Isaac that, we do that. We look back on history. We haven't followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the coming power of the Lord Jesus, like Peter said. See, we look back on the acts of history with God taking his people out of Egypt and the Passover. We look back on that. That's why it was so shocking when the Egyptian president, Anwar Sadat, said in an interview with the Jewish interviewer, Ted Koppel, and Anwar Sadat said to him, your people didn't build these pyramids. <laughs> he said, Koppel was just in shock. And sat there, he listened to that. Why? Our faith is built on history, including the history of the Jewish people being slaves and building the pyramids. That's what Peter was saying, 2 Peter 1.16. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power coming, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, with God, everything develops and progresses through history. With God, there is no future without a past, and there's no past without a future. What do I mean by that? With God, there's no basis for future hope that we're going to be delivered without a past foundational history of how God delivered in the past. And with God, there was no past without a looking forward to the future hope of deliverance. So he says, I am the God of Abraham. He wants him to look back. Now, God tells Isaac what he's going to do for him in verse 24. He says, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I'm the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee. I'll bless thee. I'll multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. See, God told Isaac, don't you be afraid. Fear not. Isaac, he had a lot of reason to be afraid because Abimelech had just chased him off his land. And now that Abimelech saw that Isaac buckled, so to speak, that, that Isaac didn't fight back, Isaac had a reason to fear. You know, maybe Abimelech, who hated him, he said that, he might now come to the conclusion, you know, he is much mightier, but he really looks like an easy prey. 
I mean, uh, maybe he could be walking on some bridge in Moscow and we could just bump him off, you know. <laughs> He's a, you know, uh, just kill him. Just eliminate Isaac. He's a threat to me. And Abimelech had already told Isaac, you know, he's much mightier. And so, you know, Isaac, he was already afraid that he was going to be bumped off, you know, if it's for Rebekah, his wife. So, you know, he's a man given to fear, so he's afraid. So God says, first of all, fear not, Isaac. Don't you be afraid. That's what God told Abraham after Abraham had fought the five kings. You know, Abraham, he had a basis to be afraid. I mean, the five kings might turn around and say, how many people? Is 400 people just defeated us, you know? And they might turn around and they say, well, you know, it's a revenge time. And turn around and say, well, we're not going to let that happen. Let's go after that Abraham. And Abraham had a reason to be afraid at the beginning of Genesis 15 after the five kings. So he says, God says in Genesis 15, 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision saying, fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. As a matter of fact, this is a message throughout the whole Bible. From Abraham to Isaac through to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all this message of fear not. That's why the angel said in Luke 2, 10 through 11, they said, for the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I always wondered who they were talking about in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Shepherds. <laughs> unto you is born. And then finally, culminating in the morning of the resurrection in Matthew 28, 5 through 6, the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, for I know you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And then God told Isaac why he was not to fear. It was because he was with him. He was with him. And God told Isaac that he's going to bless him. He's going to multiply him. So he wants Isaac to realize, Isaac, I'm with you every step of the way. I'm there. I'm with you. I promise I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid. Isaac, you don't have to have an abandonment complex. <laughs> Isaac, <laughs> I'm not going to abandon you like flesh will. Now, Isaac has heard all of these wonderful things that God's going to do for him. He's going to be with him. He's going to bless him. He's going to multiply him. And at this point, Isaac might be tempted to say, boy, I must really be something, you know, for God to do all this for me. Boy, I must really impress God. I must really be great stuff, you know. <laughs> God's going to do all this for me. And just when Isaac might have thought all those reasons of why God was doing all that for him, God steps right in in verse 24. And he tells him, listen, Isaac, I'm going to tell you the reason why I'm going to do all this for you. As he says in verse 24, the Lord appeared unto him the same night, said, I am the God of Abraham. I, Father, fear not, for I am with thee, will bless thee, will multiply thy seed. For my servant Abraham's sake, God says. It's for the sake of Abraham that I'm doing all this. So don't get all <laughs> bent out of shape about how great you are, Isaac. It's because of Abraham, not you. Sorry, Isaac. Isaac is blessed merely for the sake of the promises given to Abraham. That's why Isaac is blessed. And when we, like Isaac, ask the question, why does God bless us with all these great blessings of pardon and cleansing and salvation and elevation to the point of being uh, one of the sons of God? Why? Same reason. It's for the 
sake of the promises that God made to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in Isaiah 49, 6, when he was God the Father speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ, said, it's a light thing. That's nothing that thou shouldst be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. Ah, the Jewish people, that's nothing. And to restore the preserved of Israel. I'll show you what I'm going to do. God says, I will also give thee a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. And then in Isaiah 42, 6, again, this conversation, he says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, will hold thine hand, speaking to Israel, will keep thee, no, sorry, speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ, will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles, all the earth. And God says, in Isaiah 46, 13, speaking of the Lord Jesus, I bring near my righteousness. It will not be far off. And my salvation shall not tarry. It's not going to delay. For I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. So it's because the Father made these promises that the Lord Jesus Christ would be the Savior, would be the cleanser, would be the pardoner, would be the elevator of man. To the ends of the earth, see, Isaac was blessed for Abraham's sake and for the promises that were made to him. And we are blessed for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and the promises that God the Father made to him. And so we've seen now from verses 23 and 24 that Isaac's arrived in Beersheba in a state of absolute worn out, absolutely being disturbed, absolutely confused. And the very night that he arrives, God graciously appears to him with great words of, don't you worry, Isaac, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to make you a blossom, and I'm going to do all these things for you, not because of you, Isaac, but because of Abraham. This is a wonderful first night in Beersheba, and it's over, the night's over, and we can see when the morning comes, what does Isaac do? Verse 25 is what he does. And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants digged a well. Isaac builds an altar. Isaac himself could do nothing more than to build the altar to God. It was an immediate response on the part of Isaac. Isaac's heart was overflowing with love and praise and worship and especially gratitude to God. God, who saw his state when he arrived there, so disturbed, so so frightened. And that was a very special morning for Isaac. That morning was Isaac's halfway down the walkway time. He couldn't do anything else except build an altar there. So in verse 25, the word there is very important for us to see. It's critical. You know, the word there, first of all, speaks to us. It was an immediate response for Isaac. You know, whenever now, when everybody else woke up that morning for the first time in Beersheba, then they woke up to see Isaac out there working his tail off, cleaning the spot for the altar. And then Isaac's gathering the stones for the altar. And then Isaac's laying the stones in order for the altar. And everyone would say, what's, he, what's Isaac doing? What's he doing out there? And Isaac told them, you know what happened last night? God appeared to me. You know what he said to me? Don't be afraid. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. That happened last night when God appeared to me. I can't do anything else but build this altar to God. What a message that was for Isaac's family. You know, when we think about that scene of Isaac building the altar, we see a picture of a man as the head of his family and his God. And notice what it says happened. What does it say happened at the end of verse 25? The servants dig a well. Who dug the well? The servants dug the well. 
Isaac didn't dig the well. The servants dug the well. That means Isaac's servants dug the well. (laughs) That means Isaac's servants dug the well while Isaac built the altar. Is it important to have water in a desert? (laughs) I guess so. Water is essential for life in the desert. So is it a pretty high priority to dig a well for life in the desert? Yeah. But if getting water by digging a well was essential for life in the desert, wouldn't you expect Isaac to be out there in the desert digging himself or directing that digging of that well? I mean, isn't getting water by digging a well that important for Isaac and his family to have occupied Isaac's time? Yes, but there was something more important. There was something more important for Isaac for him to be doing for his life and for the life of his family. This was something more important for Isaac to give himself to, more important than water in the desert. And that was for Isaac to build that altar of worship, that altar of devotion, that altar of praise, that altar of thanksgiving to God. That was Isaac's first priority, and it came before digging the well. You guys go dig the well. I got something more important to do myself. That's why it's important to see in verse 25, Isaac built the altar, his servants dug the well. See, that morning, if Isaac was asked by his servants, are you going to come out there and dig the well, or at least direct us in digging the well? Isaac said, no, you go dig the well. I have something more important to do this morning. i got to build this altar to God. What a picture that is for us, of how Isaac was the spiritual leader in his house. You know, I'm going to be speaking to a group of men soon at a church, and the subject is, how can they be spiritual leaders in their home? Well, I'll tell you, this scene is perfect. We have here in this verse 25, it tells us what is the first and foremost way that a man can be the spiritual leader in his house. A man can be the spiritual leader in his home by doing what we see Isaac doing in verse 25, putting God first. See, a man can be the spiritual leader in his home if he says to himself the two words that Isaac is obviously saying to himself in verse 25, and those two words are God first. I have a little plaque on my desk at home and at work, and it just reads, the Lord Jesus Christ first. That's it. That means in the morning, before launching off into any projects of the day, before launching off into any important projects like digging wells for water in the desert, God first. Get my soul before God in the morning and my morning devotions with God first. That means on Sunday, God first. Get my family to church with God and God's people. That means before any meal, God first. More important than eating, bring my soul and the souls of my family to God before God first. That's what we see Isaac doing in verse 25, building this altar instead of going himself to dig the well. Isaac is putting God first. His family is seeing that. See, his family will always remember this about dad. Dad, he put God first. That's a real goal for every father of a family. What that family would say, dad did not put cars first. Dad did not put fishing first. Dad did not even put his family first. What I remember about my dad was that for dad, it was God first. And that's what we see Isaac doing here. That's how a man can be the spiritual leader of his house, God first. A friend of mine told me how uh, her mother-in-law visited her daughter and son-in-law in Ensenada. Yeah, I've been in Ensenada, and Ensenada is a beautiful city. 
And it is actually the capital of oceanography for Mexico. Beautiful city right up there on the hill overlooking the ocean. And her son-in-law is a very, very smart oceanographer. He's an expert in the field of tsunamis. And so her son-in-law and daughter, at first, they were going to church and they were sending their children to Christian school. And then her son-in-law decided he's not going to go to church anymore. But he'll continue to send their children. That was important to him. you got to go to Christian school. On one visit, she heard her son-in-law tell the children, well, he doesn't really believe what they're being taught in school about God. And so the mother-in-law then protested to her daughter, expressed how she wished that they would go back to church. And then on another visit to their home, the mother-in-law learned that one of their children had just moved out of the house and he was just living together with his girlfriend. The mother-in-law again protests and said, why can't they get married? And why did all this happen? Because the father of the house did not put God first. Didn't put God first in his life. He was not the spiritual leader in his home that he was called to be. He sent his children to Christian school, but that's not what it means to be the spiritual leader in the home. And as the master and commander of his home, he commanded his children go to the Christian school, but he stops going to church. He gave up his role as a spiritual leader in the home. His children were the first to see that he had not put God first in his life. So when it came time for the children to put God first in their sex lives, they put God last. They failed, just like their father. He put God last. So when Isaac's family saw Isaac building this altar while the servants were building the digging the well, that spoke to his family that, you know, all those past troubles that turned Isaac, that really turned Isaac to be angry, they didn't turn Isaac away from God. In fact, they turned Isaac closer to God. And the greatest way that Isaac was a spiritual leader in his home is when Isaac's family saw Isaac building that altar that morning in the desert instead of digging a well. So the word there in verse 25, it means to us in the desert, and it emphasizes how in comparison to a well, the word there shows us that Isaac put God first. And we've seen how this word there in verse 25 referred to the place where God spoke to Isaac, and therefore the word there tells us how God immediately thanked God, made this memorial, and all there to God for helping him. And now, and we've seen how the word there in verse 25 speaks about another significance. And that is, when it says in verse 25 that Isaac built the, that altar there, we've got to remember where that there was. That there was still in the land of the Philistines. And the word there in verse 25 is saying to us, Isaac was making a bold statement to the Philistine inhabitants of the land. Isaac knew that he got in trouble in the past in the Philistines' land because of his devotion to God. And he knew that his devotion to God was an offense to the Philistines in that land. But nevertheless, he boldly lets it be known he's not backing down from openly declaring that he's a follower of God. You can look at that altar and you can see it for yourself. Cost what it would. The word there meant Isaac was openly putting up his altar for everyone to see. You know, So Isaac could say, so there. <laughs> and we can imagine an advisor coming to Isaac and say, you know, Isaac, Elohim's kind of offensive to the Philistines here. You know, you can have a life with a little bit less trouble, you know, a little bit less of your wells being vandalized and being stolen if you just kind of like put that altar where no one can see it. Maybe make a smokeless altar. <laughs> Don't burn anything on it. Go in a cave and make your altar. You know, put some vegetables in there. Don't burn them. You know, you can get along a lot better with the people of the land if you just don't, don't make this altar so in plain sight with the smoke and everything. Well, how about a mini altar, smokeless mini altar in a cave? And if Isaac was told that, he would say, nothing doing. 
Let all the world know I'm a worshiper of Jehovah Jesus. I'm going to be very open about this. I was with an Orthodox Jewish friend, guy in New York one time. I remember he came and meet me, and he's wearing a, a New York Yankees baseball cap. And I thought, that's funny. I don't remember him being a baseball fan. And he picked me up. We weren't in an Orthodox area of town. And then when we got to the Orthodox area of New York, he takes off his baseball cap, and underneath is a yarmulke. <laughs> Not among the Jews, Yankees. <laughs> There's no covering up with Isaac. Isaac built his altar to God in the open in a land that was hostile to God. You know, in Kyoto, Japan, is a city of Buddhist temples. I remember one of our dear friend's wife, and she took a, my wife and I all throughout that city, and I don't know if we saw all the 1,600 Buddhist temples, but we saw a lot of them which there are. Jack and Connie Mass and missionaries who came out from this church, who were supported by this church, I should say, they established a church in Kyoto. Jack was from Scotland, I'll have you know. <laughs> and he seemed like the most... Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800 800- 247 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event, including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. 